Hey, hello, welcome everyone. This is the Future of Photography and we're back with another episode for you. Today we're going to be going more into tech. My name is Chris Marquardt and with me again, Imar and Jeremiah. Hi there. Hi. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hello. So, yeah, we are um, moving a bit away from all the philosophy things a bit more into the tech <laughs> side of things again because tech is interesting and i'm i'm the i'm the one who's responsible for pulling together this episode because sometimes i'm just very very tech focused and uh i have four things that i briefly want to touch on and those four things have cropped up in the last uh, couple of weeks and i found them interesting enough to bring them here onto the show. Um, so the first of the four things um, is about a new, I'm doing air quotes here, new sensor. And I have, initially I thought this is, uh, okay, let me say, it's a Sony sensor. Of course, <laughs> Sony are the ones who make the, the sensors these days, at least many of them. And uh, it's a three-layer sensor. So... Normally, when you look at the tech of a sensor, it's like a flat plane of pixels. And then um, there's wiring in between that carries the, carries the pixels out into the camera. So that's, that's kind of the normal layout there. Um, and then Sony has been really good at adding more layers to those pixels. So what they initially did is um, they added what's called backside illumination. So... Uh, instead of having having the pixels, the light sensitive pixels, and all the plumbing, all the wires and everything on one plane, they moved that wiring pretty much behind the sensor. They kind of turned it around, um, which increased the surface. And uh, th the biggest problem that they are now trying to solve is that the the there's a bottleneck when you want to carry out those individual pictures, especially when you shoot video. You always have this interface that is kind of a bottleneck and it can only read out these uh, most of the sensors line by line because it's too slow to do it all at once and you end up with um the the dreaded jello effect or rolling shutter effect you, you might have seen those uh oh yeah wonky so it's the bit the bane of of filmmaking existence or has been it is because if if you have a telephoto lens on and you move sideways you get diagonals or if a bus is driving through a picture you get a diagonal bus which looks weird um you we've probably all seen video of a propeller of a, of an airplane's propeller which starts falling apart into pieces and that's rolling shutter and what Sony's doing is they have uh, they've integrated everything on that <clears throat> on that image sensor now. So it has the it has the pixels, like the light sensitive part. It has the storage to store the content of the pixels, and it has logic in there. And it's not on one plane, but it's kind of like stacked like a sandwich on top of each other. And they get like really high shutter speeds with no rolling shutter whatsoever. We like that. I, as as a filmmaker, you will probably <laughs> really enjoy that. <laughs> we like that. If it turns uh, also, into a product. 
Well, it will, uh, because there's a demand for it. Uh, you know, I, I used to work on a show called Burn Notice, and a very action-oriented show. I worked on it for like seven Lots years. Lots of though. motion. Lots of motion. Yes. And, and also, early, you know, uh, we went from shooting on film to shoot, and which we had to for action. And then we started using the red, and then finally uh, we succumbed to the red. But rolling shutter was always a big issue in terms of action and camera moves. And often we had to even capture a little bit in 16 and combine the Super 16. Um yeah, it, it, it's an issue, and capture is always an issue when things are fast moving. You know, so so there you go. So you you would <laughs> so be, I invite Sony to the party. You you'd be happy if that came in in the product. Oh, I'd be thrilled. Yes, yeah. I mean, the, the we are just really at the bottom of the curve in terms of what is really going to be possible in. Cinema, and we'll talk about this another week. Oh, we'll have a def de uh, definitely yeah. a known show for that, a known episode for that. <laughs> yeah, but 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 the the kind of uh, evolution of of kind of cinematic capture digitally um, is a spectacular uh, field currently because there is. Uh, there are a lot of moving parts here, and everyone is looking for an edge, you know, whether it's skin tone, which is still very appropriate for still photography, certainly rolling shutter, what kind of capture, demosaicing. I mean, there, there's on and on and on in terms of what affects our image making, um, both positively and negatively, and often filmmakers and photographers will work around it. Well, so because because you have to kind of deal with what you yeah. got, and yes, and uh, I think the ideal in the ideal world, the uh, the machine to capture it would just disappear. It wouldn't wouldn't be noticed when you work with it. Eyeglasses, but we're we're not there yet. <laughs> so, how far away do you think this chip is from being in a camera? Well, so Sony couple introduced of, two it. years, I'd say. I'd say, uh, yeah, it's it's probably a few a couple of years out, but it's it looks like it's a product almost. So yeah. next, next, uh, here's one that I think we all can uh, kind of imagine what that would do for us in our photography. It's a lens that is 1,000 times thinner than regular optics. How does that sound? That sounds uh, scary and uh, <laughs> weaponizable and so there's, uh, fantastic. There's uh, the, uni <laughs> the University of Utah That'd and some scientists have come up with this uh, well, here's their claims, okay? Uh, the, and this is from wow. a... Sorry, Imar? I just said, wow, I'm looking at the picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. it, is, it yeah. looks interesting. So so I've, I've dug a bit into it, and uh, the, the way I came across that was uh, an, in an article on Petapixel. And uh, yeah, their claim is that it's 10 microns thick, which is 20 times thinner than a human hair. And it uses, and it's it's plastic based, and it uses microstructures on the plastic, and they have developed a new fabrication process and some algorithms to kind of to calculate the geometry that is needed for this to work. And uh, they have a, a they have a website above it uh, about it where with a it's or an own web page that explains it, and they, they call it thin to win. So it's a bit of marketing there, and. Uh, uh, they 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 look into things and they mention things in their articles and in the paper that I also read 
about okay how this could be used to lose the camera bumps that we are all that we all have on our smartphones these days or how it could be more it, it could be interesting for drones because you save a lot of weight um but then there here's the sentence that kind of made me uh, think mm -hmm. and that is uh, let me read that but a more immediate use for this technology would allow lighter military drones to fly longer for night missions or to map forest fires or look for victims of natural disasters and soldiers in the field could carry much lighter night vision cameras for longer durations so i was like okay i'm i'm a peace-loving person and this is the the whole military aspect kind of uh, made me made me think first thing i thought of right weaponized <laughs> that's and you said it and you said it even you have you probably hadn't I read it before read it. no no so they, but they i know how americans i know how americans think and that's that's i my immediately thought of surveillance well as well smaller well, lenses right but it, yeah. this is really something that aren't we that, surveilled enough yeah that that <laughs> the, I, 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 at this point, and then I, and then I read the paper, right? Uh, try to look through the marketing part, and at this point, they are far from this being like a universally applic ap applicable thing. They are looking at this time. They're looking at the long wave infrared spectral band, which is very in important for military uses. Um, uh, by the way, and forest fires too. Here, yes, they, 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 they have that in as well. But yeah, it's, it's. I, I, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I have. Could could this? Okay, let me let me, let me phrase this as a question. Could this just be uh, try to get military funding for the university? Sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> because there's a lot mm. of money in that. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, sure. Though though I I would have to say the first thing. Um, if I was going to design a product with that in mind. If it was translucent enough or transparent enough, eyeglasses, right, mm -hmm. with a film over it, which effectively could be a lens, and that lens at will could become telephoto, wide, yeah. um, UV. It's like the you Terminator. I mean? like, <laughs> by the way, but that's isn't that what we're talking about? No, it's, I mean, it's, it's, this is not self-focusing. This is not a change in focus. This is still fixed lenses. The way they yes, present but, that. Yes, so, but extrapolating it out. Of course. With, and, and by the way, it, it doesn't necessarily need physical telephoto functions, right? It could be all software managed if it's sharp enough and, you know, and. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm hoping for, for self focusing glasses to be a thing. There were two companies, I think, that tried this in the past and they both kind With of failed. Water. Right. Yeah, and they kind of failed. So it's, we're still a bit away from that. But yeah. But Chris, could you imagine eyeglasses with maybe just like those uh, sunglasses that flip down? Mm hmm. Sure. And, and, sure. You know, so you. you Let's say you just decided to buy a, you know, 150 millimeter flip down <laughs> lens that is ultra sharp that also in the in the band of glasses gave you the kind of processing power and capture, etc., which all could be wireless on small ships. <laughs> and who needs a camera then, right? Uh, okay, so what does that mean for the future of photography? The, the thousand times thinner than regular optics lens. At, at this point, I don't think it means much for photography itself. Um, it, it, it still weighs out. That's my 
expectation. I think it means more for the funding of the University of Utah at this point. Also, I think it, it has a lot to do with um, just the general uh, uh, focus, if I may use that word, on on what kind of cameras would be available of course. in the future. So if you have camera bodies that no longer need a lot of room for mechanics, uh, no matter how attached we are to those mechanics, and we have lenses that are extraordinarily sharp and extraordinarily light and thin, then the entire design of what will be a camera and how to use that camera will be completely unrecognizable from what it is now because our cameras now are fundamentally the same as they've always been from the beginning. So you know, everything could be a camera. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. That's a very scary kind of future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Surveillance, military, it is. And, mm. and I fear um, if I'm thinking about kind of the state of the world and, and the state of technology and what we could be facing and the intention of, you know, many countries in, in terms of uh, the observation and artificial intelligence um, manifested in kind of observing the population there won't be a, you know anywhere that is kind of image free so think on that okay let, let's let's move to <laughs> on to the next to a happier one. place <laughs> let's, let's move to, to a happier place. place let's go to our happy place um and that would be self resetting pixels anyone got an idea what that might mean <laughs> so here here's the here's the thing no here's the thing um when you look at a sensor in a camera and uh, at the individual pixels, um, if you give a pixel too much light, it b will produce overexposure. Mm -hmm. Right. So th there's a there's a there's a finite amount of photons that you can drop into a pixel before it blows out, before it's overexposed, and that's what overexposure is in a, in a photo. So what um, researchers have done here is they have created a pixel, which then could, of course, be extrapolated into many pixels and form a sensor, that resets itself. It, it when, as The moment it's full is it will empty itself and start from scratch. So you can expose as long as you want. <laughs> and while it does that, every time it's, it resets itself, it updates a counter plus one. So in the end, you have a pixel and you have a counter and you know how often that pixel has been filled so you can um pretty much expose indefinitely uh, infinitely as long as you want and get an exposure out of this pixel i love that and it's amazing isn't it it's a very amazing idea um mm. because it would give you infinite dynamic range that's right you just need some mathematics to kind of make a, make it into a picture And uh, and it's not a new idea because back in four years ago in 2015 I came across a project at at MIT's and uh, they had what they called the modulo camera which is the same principle and uh, I think they didn't build it but they suggested it and they had a prototype that was just software based so they would they would kind of simulate it and it changed uh, photography in an interesting way and maybe i don't know exactly but maybe this now is the actual 
uh, outcome of that. It's, it doesn't look like it's from the same group, but um, they might have been inspired by this. Can I ask a question? Sure. Uh, in, in terms of this technology, do you think there's an application uh, to sound in the same way that when, you know, when, when you're recording digitally and you have a kind of maximum uh, effect loud mm -hmm. that the, I'm not saying that it's a pixel, but whatever it is, right, just mm -hmm. distorts, blows out that applying that same technology to the recording um, aspect of digital would give you, again, very uh, infinite audio dynamic range. Um, hmm. I'm not sure at this point because sound and, and, and photography work differently in that respect because you have... But the principle, the principle of it, in other words, how they approach it is pretty much the same you overload a sensor which is true that, but but with, with but with photography you have a shutter speed which is a variable so you change that in at least still photography to whatever you need to capture with sound you have this the framework of sound is in, in digital terms is more of a of this this grid of of individual samples that are all spaced out exactly the same way. So there's no long samples and short samples in mm. in audio, at least. Well, uh. on the other hand, on the other hand, right, part of the kind of resetting of pixels could be very much integrated uh, if there's enough kind of memory here of having that pi pixel be, and I use quotes here, content aware. Yeah. So even even if there is a strong highlight on a wooden desk, that the interpolation of that pixel could be that it applies content aware to that and and creates the right exposure within some parameter to appear to be a normal highlight rather than a blown out highlight. Hmm. So you'll also have that as well as the resetting of the pixels. So. You know, with sound, it could be there could be a very similar thing if you're reaching a pitch. You know that it it actually the AI interpolates that pitch, uh, <laughs> where or the the loudness of it to kind of pull back. Um, mm. I think these are very interesting experiments um, in terms of of um, obviating the kind of limitations of digital recording, whatever right. aspect we're talking about. Yeah, which 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 would make podcast recording so much simpler, <laughs> much easier. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so self-resetting pixels. What does that mean for the future photography? No more blown out, no more blown out things in photos. Yeah, no uh, uh, infinite or or controllable high dynamic range is take a, take a picture of the oh. of the sky and the sun will have structure. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> or just, just being able to yeah. control what the dynamic range is, right. you know, mm. uh, you know, when we, again, shooting in, you know, uh, on, on, on cinema cameras, you know, uh, even with something, you know, like an Alexa or the new Sony's, you have a very high dynamic range, maybe 12, 13 stops, you know, they, they claim more, but let's just say it's not realistically, that's and not that much. Realistically, yeah. it's probably more 10 stops. Yes. And, but, but there's a gamma, which, you know, is the bracketing, let's say the outside and inside of what that's possible. And if you know, you're going to be in a bright environment, you can move that 10 stop 
kind of uh, bracket up or in shadows, you know, down. Mm. And so, so you're always having that same dynamic range, but you're actually physically moving the, the dynamic range to suit the image. If that is no longer a consideration, um, you know, we don't really need light meters. <laughs> it would it would probably change the look of things. I mean, we we already know what, what when I say HDR, we all have a certain image in mind, a certain style in mind. So mm. um, that is kind of HDR, right? You have a very high dynamic range, and you have to map it down into into a range that we can we can enjoy with our eyes and with the media that's the, right the media that we look in look uh, that we watch it on or screens or papers or whatever so that that would certainly if that if that becomes the norm the self self resetting pixel then that would probably also have to include uh, a bit of a change in viewing habits yeah or, or not necessarily though because uh, again if we want if we shoot things in that high dynamic range, which is probably not going to look like what we now consider high dynamic range photography. Um, I, I think that the tuning up of something that is more naturalistic, <clears throat> there'll be a, a, a way of shaping that dynamic range to choose the the zones, mm. if I refer to, say, a zone system, right? Just to have of the picking control out, of it. Yeah, just, just to say this is a very natural-looking image that really represents how most of us see this or how brains interpret what's, what, interpret what's going on, or expanding that to a highlight or a shadow. However we want to control it, giving giving mm. the image makers more control is definitely something that you uh, would I have think we all... With that. Right. Oh my God, yes. I love <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Like uh, currently, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working on a book right now and um, my images tend to be very, very dark uh, printed. And, and so working to connect shadow detail in in my case um with you know with book printing as opposed to piezo printing that's a real exploration of like oh, yeah. matching prints uh, it's a very <laughs> meticulous painful you know you can have a cousin of your original image i don't think you can have a twin uh, so <laughs> on the other hand if you have infinite possibilities um, wouldn't that be detrimental to creativity? It could be. So, so that, that's always the thing I'm, I'm a bit worried about. The more possibilities you have, the less limitations you have, the, the harder it's going to be to come up with interesting workarounds that will be a creative endeavor in themselves. Are you saying it's like choosing something to watch on Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Okay, let's let's go to the fourth and last thing. That's a good thing. segue. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's go to the fourth and last thing. Uh, thank thanks for that uh, segue. Um, we're talking about the Ken Burns effect. Now, uh, Ken Burns, documentary filmmaker, and uh, I'm not sure if he introduced it. Uh, Jeremiah, you you might know more about this, but it has. There's this effect named after him that documentary uh, filmmakers have used for the longest time and it was simply the effect to add motion to a still photo right to pan or yeah. zoom 
on yeah. a photo. Is is he the one who came up with that, or is he just someone who extensively I used it? Used it a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he came up with it, but because of his, the popularity um, and ubiquity of his work, um, coupled with that particular technique, mm-hmm. and of course his voice uh, or the narrator's voice, uh, it, it, mm-hmm. first of all, it. it 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 spawned a tremendous amount of kind of joke Ken Burns <laughs> image making, uh, but but uh, yeah, uh, it's very impressive the three D Ken Burns effect. I, well, just mind blowing. That's that's what we're getting to. So yeah. th- there's there's like a, a couple of techniques that filmmakers have used in af- after just the basic two D Ken Burns effect, and the the next one would be more well adding some 3d to it but manually so you'd have uh let's say a still photo of a person in front of the background (laughs) and you'd cut them out and you'd put them in after effects on separate layers and then you'd Mm. fill in the background and then you could you could zoom in or pan and, and add some depth to that thing so it's a manual kind of 3d animation and i'm pretty sure uh, jeremiah you've seen that a lot and it's a very tedious process it's just very a friend of mine has oh has shot a lot yeah. of documentaries, and I think thirty percent of his time is uh, in in making these kind of things to add some more visual appeal to a still photo in in a moving context. But now these these researchers have come up with uh, an, a fully automated three dimensional Ken Burns effect. So they have <laughs> algorithms that uh, that estimate the depth in a photo. And apparently really good. So that that algorithm estimates the depth. It creates a depth map. So it it makes that photo 3D for a computer. So you can pan around and move things around. And you get this parallax shift when the camera moves sideways. The virtual camera moves sideways. Uh, But then it's like this cutting out. You'd have holes in the background, right? You'd have stuff that in a 2D photo, the person covers the background. So you have a black hole in there. So you have to fill that in, and that algorithm does that automatically. So they end up having three-dimensional pictures from 2D pictures uh, by the press of a button. Is that on the market? It's not. It's just a research project. It's a paper. It's some examples in a video. So if you if you look at the link that we put in the show notes, that's a YouTube yeah, video that yeah, explains yeah, yeah. it. Um, that's, yeah. It's mind-blowing. I hope it is real. And oh, my God. It's excellent. I know my friend John Miller, the filmmaker, is, is mm. probably praying for this to be real because he... I'm not sure he likes I've doing I've done that before. Manually. I've done that a few times before in different things. Not very well, I must admit. And <laughs> it's painful. Yes. But if I'd love to, I love the effect of it and I like the idea of it. But the 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 amount of work to make something so tiny was just, it's just not, well, it's just not worth it in so many ways. <laughs> I have another too fear. Short. I have another fear. It comes to market. It's a plug-in. And... Every single documentary. Oh, that will happen. Has it? Yeah, has it until it's Mm. just absolutely ad nauseum. Oh, it's it's like HDR, right? It's everyone is going to use it, Mm. and to to the point where you won't, where you're you're yearning for a good old not moving 2D photo. So so how about saving us all of that and just us rejecting it right now (laughs) before it's overused? Stick with the original Ken Burns effect. Forget it. <laughs> We're already tired of it. 
Uh, I think well, everyone I mean, would probably dying to try it. But. I'm wondering, Chris, if if in uh, creating that, um, if we had enough uh, resolution that you could actually build a 3D image on, either lenticular or um, anaglyph. That should be easy, I think. Yeah. I, I, I mean, there, there will there will be some uh, there will be it will be necessary to have some estimation of things uh, what they look like from the sides, but to a certain uh, extent, that is, I think. Can I mean, be people done do it, and, and people do it. I've never done it. I've explored that of of just kind of creating depth map and um, slicing and dicing that and creating sort of a a false three D lenticular. Uh, there are people doing that, um, both for advertising and for fine art. Few for fine art, many for advertising, bus shelters, that kind of thing. Mm. But uh, to do it in motion is pretty amazing. So yeah, let's let's all keep an eye on that. And if it yeah, mm-hmm. if it comes on to, onto the market, if it becomes I don't know part of Photoshop and uh, everyone has it, <laughs> we'll then give it a, we'll give it a week before we reject it. And then we'll. I think I'd probably go back to the, the original, the original, if I had a chance, the original image that broke my heart. It was a, a college <laughs> project at the time and it nearly killed me. And I, I just <laughs> would love to put that image through it and just see what it does and compare it to my own and go, oh, can I submit it yeah. again, please? You know, you know, re- <laughs> revisiting things with new algorithms. I like, I like that concept because I've done it so many times with like, uh, f- with panoramas that I, that I stitched and they wouldn't stitch. And then five years later I tried again and they would stitch no problem because the algorithms had improved. So I'm all for trying new things on old stuff that were, that didn't work well. Anyway, that's our four, uh, pieces of new tech updates and, uh, research that I could find. Let's move on to the picks of the week. And, uh, Let's start with Imar. Uh, okay, so uh, on the last show, um, you were talking about a little bit about a large format photography. And I, I just stumbled across this uh, company called Intrepid Camera Company. Intrepidcamera.co.uk. Absolutely mm. fabulous. And <laughs> what really impressed me was that it, it didn't seem out of my range for, you know, something that I could, you know, maybe possibly save up for one of these. And, um, yeah, it looks amazing. They have a lovely... A friend of mine has one, loves it. I'm I'm looking at my Intrepid 4x5 right now. Uh Because we have, actually, we have two of those. We, uh, Monica and I, we both uh, backed them. They started on Kickstarter. uh, I I didn't realize that, you know, anything like this would have been within my sort of budget range, but really brought it all a little bit you know down to earth for me in a way it's it's excellent their yeah. blog is beautiful their website is beautiful their branding is beautiful it's lovely I, yeah i want to see you emar shoot in four by five i yes. really do, I'd love to do I, I, I think <laughs> that that your work would be so powerful to yourself and in, in, you know what i mean just like just yeah. whatever you do just Take that mm-hmm. moment and, and take a four by five. I think it would really knock your socks off, and it certainly would knock <laughs> our socks off. Yeah, Int- oh, Intrepid is is usually the first recommendation if someone asks how where should I start, how should I start. This is the best camera to get your feet wet. 
Yes. Yeah, it's the opposite of the camera that I used as a picture <laughs> with that Italian, you know, ten thousand dollars. Oh no. <laughs> well, they, and these guys and these guys are these guys are really smart because they also now have an enlarger kit, so you can turn that camera into an enlarger, a four by five enlarger. So there's That's a pretty cool. it's a backlight. It's a it's a four by five holder. Um, you, That's so cool. Yeah. So which makes that perfect sense. So cool. Yeah. <clears throat> And that, is, and, and that enlarger kit is 180 pounds. So the, the really price-wise, I mean, the, these, these are made from, from metal and plywood, but in a, yeah. in a pretty decent way. The first one yeah. that I have is still is a bit shaky, but they have really improved on their quality since. So still, highest recommendation. All right. What? Some beautiful images on that website as well. Yeah, they have great photography there too. Definitely. So yeah, it's worth visiting. It's just worth a visit, even just to look at the stuff. It's lovely. Even well, if you're into websites, it's a beautiful website. <laughs> well, and if you if you decide to get one, we have a fridge full of four by five uh, expired four by five color <laughs> negative film here. So great. Send it over. Be happy to send you some. Okay. I just look. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Jeremiah, what is your well, pick of the week? Well. Uh, my pick is a, it's a website called Trend Hunter, and uh, it is uh, the Trend Hunter, hunt, trendhunter.com. Oh, I love that. Uh, and it is, well, you'll see it's all about futurist. This particular uh, subset is on futuristic cameras. <laughs> and just Ooh. to throw it all out, mainly at Chris, <laughs> there are featured examples. I just take your pick and we can talk about any of these because they're all wild. Uh, oh, you this know. is a but, huge rabbit hole. Wow. Yes, it, it, it <laughs> is. Uh, I, I can't even really describe any of the individual um, pieces here, but but there's a, um, there's a deep, 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 dark rabbit hole to drop into if you're interested in the future of photography. I, I particularly find the fish-finding underwater drone to be interesting <laughs> for those of you who fish like fishing. I don't, but... Okay, um, yeah, yeah, this is, okay. You shouldn't have shown me this. for drones. This is, yeah. You shouldn't have shown me this. No, this is, uh, you'll be, you'll be there for months, basically. Okay. All right, let's, let's okay. move on because otherwise we won't get <laughs> away from here. No. Um, yeah, my pick of the week, it's not quite a pick. It's more of a curious thing that I saw a while ago. Again, this popped up on Petapixel. And it's one of those, you know, how companies come up with patents on things that may or may not turn into products, but they have an idea and someone says, oh, let's patent this just in case. So this might just be one of those. But um, mm -hmm. it, the, the headline was, Canon designed a lens that sucks. Yeah, I read this. <clears throat> and it's, and it's, it's a lens design that I think it has channels built in and a fan of sorts and the the channels are for air and the air would then be sucked into the camera on the outer rim of a lens and it would blow on the sensor and then would come out through the body of the lens and take <sighs> dust with it and so it's 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 one of these things that would kind of i think clean the sensor and the camera on the inside and take dust away um while you shoot 
See, and I thought when I first read the headline is they were going to compete with the Leica lens, the Thombar lens, which if you're not familiar with that, it's one of the few, it's the only um, Leica lens that they designed not to focus well. <laughs> oh, oh, it's yeah. It's a soft lens. No, um, Petapixel, I think, mean it quite literally. So. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and I initially thought of the big the big one to 400 Canon lenses that are more like air pumps than anything. <laughs> but that lens doesn't do that. So, Or that, that, that patent doesn't talk about that. So, Yeah, that's not something that I think I would run out and buy. I, I don't know. <laughs> I it just know. feels like a lot can go wrong with a uh, a vacuum in your lens. Sensor dust isn't one of my biggest problems in photography, for sure. Mine neither. <laughs> All right. Mine, though, if any of you have ever tried cleaning sensor dust off, you have to be very, very cautious. Okay, here's an anecdote. When, uh, when I had my first DSLRs, the first couple... Um, there was a method of taking sensor dust uh, off by using something called disco film. Have you ever heard of that? That's where you put a, the plastic on it and peel it off? Sort of, yeah. So so disco film yeah. is, a, is an actual product, I think some, from somewhere in Europe. And it's from the 70s, and it was used to clean vinyl LPs. So what you would do is you'd have this bottle of a... A gooey substance that, like like a thin glue, very transparent, and you would brush that on an LP and let it dry, and then peel it off, and it would come off in this film after an hour of drying, and would take all the dust from the grooves with it. And some scientist here, and I talked to this guy uh, in in Germany, he he found out that uh, it's a polymer of some 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 polymer, and uh, it was. It wouldn't harm the sensor, so he came up with that method of uh, of painting this with a fine brush on the open sensor and let it dry. Add a little paper tab on the corner, kind of into that gluey substance, and then after an hour, you pull that off, and it it was very very effective. It was very scary too, but it was super effective. It took all the dust, all the dirt off the sensor until the camera manufacturers started adding um, fluoride, uh, fluoride yeah. coatings on the sensors to facilitate the dust coming off easier for the yeah. self-cleaning sensors. And then the, the disco film didn't work anymore. But that was a <laughs> glorious time for a few years where <laughs> I, would, I would drench the sensor in a, in a sticky goo kind of thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> brave man. You're a very brave man. That was so effective. Mm. But now, yeah, it's not really necessary anymore. Anyway, I think that concludes this techie episode of The Future of Photography. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back for another episode in a week. If you just if you just stumbled upon this and found it on thefutureofphotography.com, you can, of course, find this in your podcast client of choice just wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, you can find us and all the other episodes on thefutureofphotography.com and on twitter let us know what you think uh, our handle there is tfop now and uh, yeah signing off for today until next week take care bye-bye bye-bye, bye-bye.
You've been listening to The Future of Photography, a production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. Thank you.